what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Forecast is sponsored by Clinic Drug, located in Morganton, North Carolina, and serving the surrounding community since 1938. Clinic Drug has a large selection of Nature's Bounty, Vitamins, Briar Lane Home and Garden Flags, Russell Stover's Candies, and Thai Stuffed Animals. Clinic Drug offers free delivery and 24-7 unparalleled service. Clinic Drug turns no patient away. For more information, call them at 828-584-0741. Or you can find them on Facebook or go to their website, www.clinicdrug.com. Your health is our priority at Clinic Drug. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh, learn, and learn to win, as well as grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in, as well as our sponsors. Find us on TheMesh.tv. And find all your other favorite podcasts from TheMesh.tv as well on all the platforms that you use for your podcast connections. It's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check all the other shows out here on TheMesh.tv, all produced right here in Western North Carolina. Hey, listen, advertising on the Mesh Podcast Network is a low-cost way to reach a targeted audience. For more information on advertising on this show or other shows on the Mesh Network, you can send an email to info at themesh.tv or by visiting the Mesh website at www.themesh.tv and clicking on the Advertise button. This morning, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, a fellow instructor here that is becoming a very well-known instructor here in the last several years in our industry, and he's a... Uh, PGA professional. He's a Jacksonville, Florida resident at the moment, a former Campbell University graduate and a very intelligent young instructor. I'm excited to chat with him this morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's, uh, his name is TJ Yaton. TJ, good morning, buddy. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Things have been a little bit uh, unusual here for us in the in the world in the last uh, 60 to 90 days. Are things kind of leveling out for you down there in Jacksonville? Are you back out in front of people in person at this point? Or tell me what's going on. Yeah, so thing, things are definitely moving in the right direction. Um, you know, we, uh, the Club of Matt Atlantic Beach Country Club, we shut down um, for play and business. Uh, we basically shut down completely uh, just shortly after the Players' Championship, which is just down the road in Ponte Vedra. And uh, so I was at home for about four weeks uh, before even going into the golf club. And uh, then around mid to late April, we opened up back for member play. Uh, and over the last four weeks or so, we've, we've started creeping back in towards normalcy. Uh, I got back to lesson T last week. So I hadn't given an in-person golf lesson in about four weeks. And uh, I just got back to teaching last week. Yeah, that's it's been a, a definite uh, alteration in how we operate, and uh, I know for myself, very similar situation. Maybe just a few weeks more than that. But uh, you've always used technology, so you probably fell very comfortable into 
you know, vid video analyzation of, of students and working remotely is, is probably something you're very comfortable with, I would assume. Tell me how you adapted to that situation and what tools did you utilize primarily? Yeah, sure. So, you know, ironically enough, um, you know, even being an early adopter of technology, I hadn't moved into the online side um, until we closed as a golf club. So, you know, I, I've always had students, um, you know, all over the place and, and always had, you know, somewhat of an informal uh, way of communicating with those students, such as, you know, just, just text message and um, occasionally like FaceTime. You know, mostly they just, they just shoot me over some video and, you know, I would just send them a message back or, or maybe shoot them a short video. Um, but, you know, when this whole thing started, uh, you know, you, you kind of, for me, I mean, I, you know, I've never gone longer than three days without giving an in-person golf lesson. So, yeah. you know, all of a sudden be faced uh, indefinitely without, you know, being face-to-face -face with somebody, you know, kind of kind of gave me pause and, uh, you know, made me reflect on, on what could I do and, and, you know, what have I missed out on uh, over the past you know, few years as far as you know, getting into the online side of it. And, um, you know, so when this whole thing started, it, you know, I, I ended up getting into, um, you know, doing some Zoom stuff, doing, doing some uh, online lesson stuff, using a couple different platforms, uh, Skillist, and then uh, got involved with Course Kings there, um, you know, and um, really it, it just, you know, kind of forced me to pivot into a, a little bit of a different direction. I think, you know, it kind of forced us all to, you know, in the instruction side to uh, get a little bit more creative and, and find some various ways to stay in touch and communicate with students and, um, you know, try to keep the interest in golf going. Yeah, definitely a challenge. I, I know for, you sound like you're you're very similar to me in that I like being face-to-face -face with my golf students, you know, with my clients. I, I don't think there's a, a replacement for a human connection and being in the same physical space as your, as your uh, you know, your client and developing – uh, what I think is a very important relationship there's a big part of it. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, one of the things that, that I've learned over the last, you know, four or five years or, uh, you know, really since, since, um, you know, I got more and more into teaching and the coaching side of it is, you know, realizing that we're more in the people business right. than the dissemination of information business. Um, you know, and, and for me, that was kind of a fundamental shift in thinking as far as, you know, how I interacted with a student and, um, you know, really it, uh, you know, when I, when I took that side of it and, and realized, you know, we're more about dealing with people, uh, it was actually kind of a shift for me to get away from potentially doing anything online. You know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't do a whole lot of video content. I didn't do online lessons, like I mentioned before, uh, simply because I didn't feel like that was, uh, the direction I wanted to pursue. I like both the face-ons, the one-to-one, -one, the small groups, the golf schools. You know, I, it was about being face-to-face, -face, like you said. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed being around people. I think that's a big reason for me to for me to pursue teaching and kind of why I got into it in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, being around people for me, being one-on-one -on -one with people was uh, was a huge influencer for me to kind of go that route. Yeah, one of, one of the, the my most uh... – despised terms of 2020 is social distancing. I think it's such a, a disservice to the human race to even say that. I think we are social creatures as humans, and I think 
you're right. We are in the people business and developing relationships with our clients. I mean, being in person, you can read the body language of your student. You can understand if they're stressed. You can mm-hmm. understand if they're comfortable. You know, it's our job as coaches to read that and to feel if that student's comfortable or not. It's difficult to do that through a text. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. the texts are the most misunderstood uh, forms of communication that we utilize, <laughs> and you got to be very careful with with text so yeah. that they're not. You know, so I think that's a challenge for us when we're taking that. We're taking one of our. Uh, very significant uh, and important skills away from us as humans, and that's to connect. Um, it's difficult. So, yeah, it's been a challenge, but I'm glad we're kind of breaking on the other side of it for sure. Sure. Yeah, so with um, with things down in Jacksonville getting back to normal, you know, kind of give us an idea of how your day might go and what type of golfers you see predominantly. I know you work with a, a number of really, really mm-hmm. talented professional golfers. Tell us about some of those and just kind of give us an idea who your student base is. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I'm fortunate that I get to teach all range of players, you know, and, and as long as I, as long as I get to do this, I hope to continue to do that. You know, I, I teach everybody, uh, from a very high handicapper down to, uh, you know, very recognizable names on the, on the PGA tour. Um, you know, and really my days pre pandemic, uh, would literally range from teaching a tour player to teaching a 30 handicap and everything in between. I mean, literally in back-to-back sessions would have, uh, you know, wildly differing, you know, abilities between players. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, during the pandemic, uh, you know, my days are a little bit different. I was very fortunate that, um, you know, my golf club, uh, Atlantic Beach Country Club came to me and said, Hey, you know, we're, we're closing. We're not going to be able to let anybody, you know, teach as far as any of the professional staff goes. And we know that that's kind of what you, know, you do solely. Um, you know, would you mind taking a small role in the operations side until we can get back going? Uh, you know, for me, I, I've never not had a job. It's, you know, it's been probably you know 22 years since I've, you know, hadn't held a position where I was, I was working. And, um, you know, for me, uh, given that opportunity, um, was very exciting. You know, I've been in an operational role in, in a golf facility in, you know, 15 years. So, uh, mm-hmm. fortunately they made me, they let me start. So I got to be on the first hole and I, and I got to, you know, see new, see members and talk to members and engage with members and really everything I love about teaching, you know, they, they kind of allowed me to be in a role where I could, uh, continue to be around people. So I would, I would literally do that, uh, for six hours a day, about six days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once we start, once we opened up for teaching again, you know, I'm still doing that until we can get, uh, get another body. in as far as an assistant professional goes in June. So right now my days are six days a week, 12 hours a day at the club doing about six hours of starting and then six hours of teaching. Yeah. Long days for sure. For, for the yeah. golf professional. Um, well, that's a really good opportunity for you as an instructor to probably meet some of the, the members that you don't normally encounter and uh, develop relationships and kind of, um, create opportunity for them and for you. So that's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. Much better than being in the shop, in my opinion, and inventorying golf balls or folding some sweaters, you know, I think. Yeah, I was never very good at that anyway. Well, <laughs> pretty, pretty terrible club pro. I, I respect the golf pros that do that. I, I've known some really yep. – and worked with some – worked for and with some very, very talented golf professionals, and that's what, what this job does require is a variety of skills. You know, I see the guys that can go from – doing perfect calligraphy on a scoreboard to running a tournament and managing entries and 
inventory and, and merchandising and cart fleet management. It's just an amazing number of skills. And I realized a long time ago where, where I enjoyed the most was being out there trying to help somebody play a little better and enjoy the game from a playing standpoint. And um, thank goodness there's, there's differences in our industry, you know, with the way people approach their careers. And, but uh, yeah, that's yeah, good. So I, I had no idea you had been in, in the golf profession that long because, quite honestly, you just, you're kind of like Preston Combs. You just don't look as old <laughs> as you are. <laughs> so yeah. uh, take us back a little bit. I know, you know, you are a Campbell graduate. You spent some time there yep. gaining your, your golf knowledge, uh, you know, and, and some of it, I'm sure, came way before that and, and certainly after. But tell us about where things started for you. Where did you grow up and at what age did you become a golfer? That kind of thing. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I grew up just outside of Boston, kind of in southern New Hampshire, and uh, just uh, west of the city, uh, kind of the Framingham native area. When I was very young, and uh, grew up in southern New Hampshire, went to school in other, uh, southern New Hampshire, and um, you know, I was kind of a, a medium fish in a small pond as far as golfing goes. You know, I kind of got in the game late. Uh, I was I was a really good athlete. I you know played baseball, basketball, uh, soccer, and soccer was was kind of my my. Uh, best sport uh, so to speak i didn't start golfing until about 14 13 14 uh, my dad had played soccer in college you know i was playing competitively at very high levels and uh, that was kind of direction i thought i would i would go and, and my parents stuck me in this golf camp uh one summer because in the northeast there's really no sports going on in the summer uh, and i kind of went kicking and screaming and you know i remember i couldn't break 100 at the time and it came back after that summer and said i'm going to do this for the rest of my life it's fantastic wow I uh, still couldn't break a hundred, but, uh, you know, that, uh, that following fall, you know, I, I made the golf team, which, you know, we were terrible. So maybe a good thing that I made it because I don't know if I would have pursued it any further if I hadn't, <laughs> um, you know, and, and by the time I was a senior, I was, I was pretty good. I was around scratch, relatively good. Um, you know, I, I get around even, I won a bunch of you know, junior tournaments in the Northeast and played with some really good players. Uh, you know, I wanted to play in college and my options were, you know, go division two or division three in the Northeast. I you know, had aspirations of playing division one golf in the South and I despised winters and couldn't wait to get out of there. Uh, I didn't you know, do anything in the winter as far as uh, skiing, snowboarding, playing hockey. Yeah. Um, so I went to Campbell with the hope to walk onto the team, um, but was also intrigued by the idea of having, you know, getting in the golf management program as a backup. Uh, you know, I got there, I realized I, I certainly wasn't going to be good enough to, you know, pursue playing long-term. So, um, you know, I'd always been fascinated with learning the game. And, you know, I was obsessed by the time I was 16, 17 years old, trying to figure out how things worked. And I had every book and DVD, you know, written by Jim McClain and David Ledbetter and Butch Harmon and just anybody that was recognizable uh, in the instruction side of it at the time, just trying to learn and, you know, I went to Campbell thinking I, I had an idea or a clue as to, you know, how to, how to make golf swings better and, and how to swing the club. And, you know, then I ran a David Orr, who um, <laughs> <laughs> just shattered, shattered my, uh, my thinking there. And, uh, you know, David was actually my college advisor. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and at the time, David, David was a full swing teacher. He wasn't into the, oh, yeah. the short game putting side, right? I mean, he was, he was in the full swing and, and, you know, I started hanging out with David. I was lucky enough to be his assistant for, for the three years, uh, three years I was there, four years I was there, uh, his assistant last three years I was there. Um, and you know, David introduced me at first to the golfing machine, right? A, a book that I had no idea. It was kind of the first attempt of, of, of organizing information, um, 
you know, as far as, as technique and mechanics was concerned and tried to apply some science to the golf swing. So I got really into the golfing machine. Um, that first year I was at Campbell, I actually went out to Portland, Oregon and, and did the certifications with Joe Daniels, the owner of the golfing machine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I remember coming back in my last day of my freshman year, I was hitting golf balls on the range and David's house is, is right there on the back of the range. And, you know, David ran to me and said, well, you know, it's cool that you learned golf machine, but next year I'll, I'll talk to you about more ad. And he walked away. <laughs> and, and I remember sitting there on the range, you know, more ad being the, the Mac Brady, um, you know, information and, and, you know, his way of teaching. I remember sitting there thinking like, well, you know, what the hell is more ad and, and why hasn't he mentioned it until now? And how do I learn more about this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so being around David, I, you know, I got very early, 18 years old, introduced to the golf machine and then I got introduced to Mac O'Grady and I spent five years working with Mac O'Grady and, and just being around Mac O'Grady and meeting all the other teachers that were going through, uh, the same level of education I was, you know, it, it put me in touch with, a uh, basically a who's who of, of golf instructors. Um, you know, and from there it was into the technology side. Cause a lot of those golf instructors that were into the golf machine and into, you know, working with Mac O'Grady were also early adopters of technology. So by the time I was 20, 21 years old, I mean, I had been exposed to the highest level of information that you could possibly be around at that time. Right. Uh, and from there it just kind of springboarded me uh, into teaching. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I think with, you, you know, an opportunity to be around people like David and, and Mac O'Grady and those types of people um, at that young of an age uh, is is pretty special because that's not always the case. But uh, in today's world, we have that information more available than ever. I'm much older than you, and I think it was difficult for me early in my quest to become a golf coach or golf teacher to find that type of information. But we all – I think as coaches, we all become students pretty early in our in our career, and um, you know our interest and our passion takes us down the rabbit hole, so to speak. And there's a lot of rabbit holes, <laughs> a lot of digging, yeah. you know, and yeah, it just absolutely. keeps it keeps going. So that's that's the fun thing about this industry. I think is there's so much to know and so much to learn, and so many bright people in this business that are that are driving information uh, every day and and turning new pages and hopefully to help golfers. And we, it's, we're accused, a lot of us are accused of being over-technical and trying to make it more difficult for the golfer. Uh, but what's your take on this and how do you deal with it? And kind of give us a, your, your perspective on how you discern science from fiction or, um, you know, what does a golfer need to understand about their golf club from the scientific aspects, they're going to make them better. Yeah. In, in short, not much. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, not, not much, you know, I, and I never really understood this argument about, um, you know, being, being overly technical as far as, you know, what we can learn from an instructor side. I understand it. You know, when you're talking about teaching and coaching a student in front of you who doesn't need to have a high level of understanding, they need to have some basic level of understanding because they need to understand uh, to a small extent, at the very least, you know, why is this happening and how can I make adjustments and how can I self coach, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I don't have, you know, Alan or TJ standing right there. Uh, So I, you know, I think it's really important for the player to have a functional understanding of what it is they do. But as far as the coaching side of it goes, I mean, you know, what's, what's the alternative to not, 
to, to not knowing, right? <laughs> I mean, you're just guessing at that point, right? And, yep. you know, fortunately, we have so much, so much information, good information, practical information that can help coaches. I don't understand, you know, why somebody wouldn't want to learn more about it. You know, I think personally, and, you know, I could be wrong, but I think people are just a little bit afraid. They're a little intimidated. Sure. I think for a long time in this industry, um, you know, good players were the teachers and the coaches, and they just tried to articulate what it is they did and what, what they felt. And that may help some, and it's probably not going to help most. Um, but, it, but it's somewhat of a guess at best. And, and that's what I got tired of as a player is I didn't, I didn't want to have somebody give me their best guess mm-hmm. and what they did. I don't, I don't want to know what they felt and what they thought. I wanted to know how does, how does this work and how can I best help and anybody that's in front of me, not just a player that, um, you know, it's a good player, a bad player, or, or high IQ golfer, low IQ golfer. I mean, I wanted to help the full spectrum of, of players. And I think, you know, it's, we're in a great era where technology is now more affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's more attainable. The information is more attainable. It, it, it's, you know, you just scour the internet and find a very simple explanation about a very complicated subject. So I, I don't think there's any excuse anymore for, uh, you know, coaches or players to be intimidated about it, you know, from the mm-hmm. playing side, you, you need to know as a player, what it is that you do at the very least and you know, how to self coach yourself. So when you're out playing, um, you know, you can be able to understand what's happening and then how to make adjustments on the go. That's right. You know, as a, as a coach, a lot of times I find myself explaining to my student that Goldilocks uh, was an LPGA hall of fame golfer. And my story begins after the little incident that she had with the three bears. She took up golf. And I want my student to understand why Goldilocks became a Hall of Fame golfer is that she understood the concept of too much, not enough. And the reason she became a Hall of Fame golfer was because she never gave up until she found what was just right. Sure. And so that concept, as I print that in their mind early, is their blueprint, so to speak, for adjustment. Mm-hmm. And, and they, like you said, the golfer needs to know what they do, what they tend to do, and on which side of the error they are. And a lot of times it can be that simple. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, that's, that's our key, you know, way to do it is, is communicate to them. Yeah, you're – you're under, you need to be over. You know, you're weak, you need to be strong. Your ball position is too far forward, it needs to be further back. It's too far back, it needs to be further forward. I mean, how many times do we stand on the lesson tee and give an opposite lesson <laughs> in succession lessons? You know, I was right. just telling this guy over here, he's, you know, to put his ball more forward in his stance. Just the next person, I'm telling them to put it further back in their stance, whatever it is, right? So it's always yeah, absolutely. It's what we're doing and just guiding players to some neutral zone where they can halfway perform um, instinctively and, and repetitively and simplistically and uh, and find their ball in the short grass. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's oversimplification of it for sure. But uh, sometimes that's the way, the way it goes. Hey, listen, let's oversimplify your health control, and let's look at our sponsor very closely. I'm a good friend with Jeff Sarkowski, and I want to mention to you, if you have issues with your health and you need medications or treatments, and I know you have doctors who can help you with that, but if you need to get medications or anything to help you with your health, go see the folks at Clinic Drug. 
Uh, Jeff's an amazing guy. He's a pharmacist there. He runs the place. And if you really want to get what's right for you, um, he helps the community in Morganton, and his clinic drug is the place to go. So go see Clinic Drug because your health is their priority. Um, thanks again to our sponsor, uh, amazing guy. Um, listen, TJ, I think when we, um, we see golfers on the range and we're, we're trying to teach them how to improve their technique, but also we're trying to teach them how to practice better. You know, how many times mm -hmm. do we go out there and watch them, you know, diligently bang balls on the range and, you know, fruitlessly sometimes they're, they're complaining, hey, look, man, I hit it pretty good on the range, but I just can't take it to the course. Let's talk to our listeners about how you might coach a player to some better practice habits. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think one thing that, that, um, you know, I've experienced as a coach, especially, you know, in, in my development and as I spend more time working with, you know, the, the tour player, but also the club player is for the club player. Uh, one concept that, that I'm continuously talking about is learning how to learn. So, you know, the, the club player is, is probably never going to be uh, you know, that high skill golfer at the tour level, but they can still, they can still do things to get better the same way that a tour player does things to get better. So, uh, you know, as far as when I'm coaching club players, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, I would say upwards of 80, 90% of the actual lesson. I uh, was only a very small portion of that lesson given to, to some technical information um, is, is explaining to that player how to then implement change, right? How to go about implementing change. Uh, you know, and, and what I do is I run these coaching programs that are comprised of a, uh, a, a technical session or a private lesson, you know, would be commonly uh, in, in the golf industry known as, right, private lesson, mm -hmm. uh, supervised practices, and then also an on-course component. So, you know, for, for my students uh, in these coaching programs, the technical lessons are, are, you know, a little bit of technical information, but more so how to train and how to implement um, those changes into their swing, because as you mentioned, right, we know that the range is a pretty safe environment when the course is a very chaotic environment. So we tend to regress back to, uh, normal movements, right. Things that we've conditioned ourselves to do in very dangerous environments, right. Water, OB, mm -hmm. force carries into the wind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I use, I use supervised practices as a way to just observe players practice. Uh, and then every once in a while insert myself and say, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe you should look at, you know, taking this 30 minutes or 20 minutes, however much time you have per week dedicated to practicing to do it in this fashion, this way. And we do a lot of skill development in those sessions. And then it's about taking that student on course and actually watching them and observing them in that, in that very chaotic environment and, and see what they do and how they react and how they go about, um, making decisions and, and club selection and target selection and, um, you know, so for me, it's this very holistic approach to getting golfers to understand number one, how to actually implement a technical change, because I think most golfers at any level don't do that correctly. Uh, then how to practice their skill development in a, in a, you know, safe observed environment, and then actually take it to the golf course. So that would, that would kind of be my, my pitch as to how to develop a complete golfer. Yeah. But it's interesting to me. Uh, how many golfers are just absolutely unaware of the massive difference the practice facility uh, environment is compared to the environment of playing on a golf course in terms of variability 
um, just in the lie, you know, their unlevelness of the, of the situation when they're playing on the golf course compared to the levelness of the situation when they're on, on, the, on the range. And it's just – it fascinates me that they're just unaware of that. And you bring that to their, uh, their attention and they're like, wow, I've never thought about that. I said, right. how many times have you hit 37 irons in a row on a driving range? Well, a lot. How many times have you hit 37 irons in a row on a golf course? Well, never. You know, that kind of concept, and it's like, wow. So to me, that's a revolutionary thing for a lot of golfers to discover. They're not practicing in order to become great players on the course. Um, Right. You know, and I love what you said about testing their their ability to execute, you know, in that chaotic environment. You might have a golfer come to you and on the range, and they're saying – Man, I am fading this driver more than I want. I want to see my my driver draw. And you you watch their track man numbers and you see a seven degree to the left path. And you say, well, we're not going to be effective drawing the golf ball with a seven degree to the left path. So you start, well, you want to draw the ball. So we're going to start working on getting that path to move more to the right. And until we can see that thing get to the right of your club face, we're not in Drawsville. Right. And then when you get them to do that, maybe you have to shift their alignment to the right to get the baseline of their path going to the right enough to even hit a draw on the range. And they hit two draws out of the next 20 balls. You take that golfer to the golf course and have them hit a tee shot on a hole where there's a water hazard down the right side and say, now draw it off that water hazard. (laughs) No chance. No chance. Not happening. Emotionally, they're not going to align their baseline to the right enough because of the water hazard. And, you know, it's just a fear that the golfer doesn't tend to have on the range, and it shows up on the golf course. And that's what we're dealing with in the human mind. So I think it's fascinating as coaches how we can get players over those hurdles of understanding the technical requirements to hit a certain golf shot and then getting them to understand how to implement their techniques on the golf course, even when those fear factors exist. Right. You know, that, that's the brilliance of us it, sometimes is just saying, man, here's where you are. Here's where you want to go. And to get there on the course is a long journey. And, and let's get there, but let's, let's understand it's not going to happen in, in a one-hour golf lesson, is it? No, no. And, you know, I, uh, I try to be really diligent in laying out uh, ahead of time with students, you know, students that whether it's a tour player or whether it's a, you know, high handicap beginning golfer, whatever it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be very diligent and very honest about the process that that player will go through to be able to achieve what it is they're trying to do. And, you know, I'm very upfront with players and, and say, look, this is not an easy task. And I think as an industry, we tried to sell golfers, uh, on easy fixes. And, and if you just do this one little thing, it'll solve all your issues. So if you just had this driver, it would solve all your issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I actually take, you know, quite a bit of time when, uh, when a student reaches out to me about participating in a coaching program, or maybe it's a tour player who's, uh, wanting to, you know, try to better their games. You know, I'm very upfront and say, look, this is a process. This is going to take time. Here's what this is going to look like. Here are some, um, you know, some performance outcomes we're looking to achieve in, you know, this time and this time, and, you know, maybe down the road, here's, here's where we'll be. And here's ultimately what your goal is. And how does that kind of fit within this time frame of, you know, whatever it is you have to devote to doing this. 
Uh, you know, I try to just lay it out for them and, and be, you know, very brutally honest. This is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Change is hard and, and it takes time and it takes a lot of discipline and dedication for players and recreational players generally. Number one, they don't have the time. They're busy. They have more than right. one activity. And, and we understand that as coaches. So that's why we're able to help these players say, look, it can be, it can be done. Um, but your expectations oftentimes as a student, might be a little little high, and we need to manage right. that so that they don't get frustrated and they don't they don't quit and they don't give up and there's so much of that. So I think that's the that's the thing we're dealing with trying to manage their expectations. A lot of times, I mean, how many times have you gotten a, a golf student on the putting green and they say, "Well, you know, coach, I'm not putting very well. I'm not making enough ten footers." And you say, "Well, let's let's give you a question to see." what your thoughts are. You know, if you played golf and you're a really good ball striker and you had, you know, let's say you hit 10 greens in regulation and you were awesome that day and you had 10 foot and in 10 times in your round. Every green you hit, you hit it inside of 10 feet or at 10 feet. How many did you make? And they'd say, maybe three or four. You say, well, yeah, that's pretty close to the PGA right. Tour average. <laughs> you know? right. And they go, what? Yeah, you're putting pretty good, man. Four out of ten is the PGA Tour average. So, you know, it's, again, they just don't know the statistics to understand what good is. You right. Know? Yeah, and, and, and why do you think that is? Why is the golfer's expectation so high? The recreational golfer in particular is so high. What do you think causes that high expectation? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, we've been desensitized to the difficulty of the game through TV coverage, right? So. Mm -hmm. TV is only ever showing these long 30 footers that are dropping, you know, in, 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 right. in a five minute stretch, you might see four or five 30 footers in a row being made. Sure. Uh, you know, and then of course they're only showing the good shots, right? So they're seeing players, you know, hitting these darts with their irons and wedges. So, you know, tap in range and they're seeing every drive that's hitting the fairway. They're not showing you uh, the guy that just lipped out the four footer for bogey, mm -hmm. right. Who's in 57th right. place. Right. So, so first of all, I think there's an expectation um, of you know being or excuse me being desensitized to uh, what we're seeing on TV. You know, the second thing is, is we when we are at the club and playing with players that are better than us, it oftentimes looks very easy and very effortless, right? We think mm -hmm. that golf in general is not a difficult game on the surface, right? The ball's not moving, no one's trying to hit you, right. um, you know, it's not doing anything to make a swing. We see better players do it and there's this appearance of being effortless and there's this appearance of being easy. Uh, and, you know, then we try to do, and of course we are experiencing you know, very difficult, uh, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I even find this at the tour level too, right? I mean, I've, I've had tour players that, um, and by the way, they're not any different than club golfers. They're just doing it at a different level. Yeah. I'll have tour players that are playing with somebody who has a strength that they don't have. Mm -hmm. And the only thing they're finding is their weaknesses mm -hmm. in everybody else's strengths. Right. So I'm, you know, I had, I had one player last year who, um, you know, played around with, with a, a golfer who made a lot of putts. And then, you know, all I hear is, well, so-and-so makes everything, but <laughs> it's not, the, it's not the reality, but you know, that's his, he's looking at it through his lens right. uh, of not making enough putts right now. He was putting average, you know, he wasn't good or bad, but sure. he was just you know experiencing playing with someone who, who was kind of a statistical anomaly for a moment. Yeah, the tour players, they get that one round with that player that was hot that day, and, and all of a sudden he makes everything. Well, he did that day. 
Right. He shot you know, 63 and, and, that day. Well, he hadn't shot 63 in nine months. I mean, they got, right. he was having his great round. Yeah. Yeah, followed it up with a 74 the next day and made nothing. <laughs> exactly. But he wasn't paired with them because they shot different scores and, and got repaired. <laughs> of course. Yeah, and, and that's what you're dealing with. And, I mean, with all the statistical data that's available, certainly at the PGA Tour level with strokes, gang, putting, and, and are the players that you coach – are they looking deeper into this information to, to really understand that and help adjust, or, or do you have to do that with them? Do you have yeah, to I mean, it depends them? on the it de- right. It depends on the player. Uh, yeah, I've got players that are highly analytical and, and delve deep into their statistics and ask very you know high level, sophisticated questions about their statistics. And I have players that don't look at them at all, mm-hmm. or maybe we'll just look at a, a specific category that they're trying to improve. Yeah. Um, you know, so as a coach, right? I, you know, you wear many hats and. Uh, one of the hats I'll wear with, with club players and tour players is the statistician, you know, and, and go through rounds and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, quarters and months and years looking at, at statistics with these players and trying to help them sift through the, uh, and there's a lot of them, right? To try to help them sift through what's important, what's not, what's relevant to their game, what isn't. Right. Um, you know, and then again, just like you said, kind of shaping their expectation to where do you need to be, right? You might have a, a, a ball striker, uh, who hits it a million miles, but is producing a pattern that is not great for hitting a soft pitch shot, right? So you often see guys that hit it far are not typically great wedge players because those patterns for hitting a soft wedge and hitting a drive 300 yards are very different. Mm-hmm. So you, you might need to help that player understand, look, if you're just average in this category, you're going to be really, really great. You don't need to be number one and you need to be in the top 10. You just need to be a little bit better and just be average. Be an average wedge player and then ball strike it to that. Now, that's a great way to look at it because it's oftentimes the golfer who does hit it 320 yards off the tee that on a relatively short golf course, he's going to have a lot of soft pitches into those par fours. <laughs> he's not going to right. convert a lot of birdies as a result of his weakness in that category of his game. So, yeah, that's, that's a very good way to look at it. So, you've, uh, you know, your talents as a coach and, and a teacher – have uh, brought the attention of a team of instructors. They've brought you on board to be part of this new organization called the Course Kings. That's uh, started by Jeff Smith out in Las Vegas, another good buddy of mine. He's um, he's brought you on board. Tell me how that relationship took place, and and you coming to their team as an instructor. What that's what opportunity has that created for you? Yeah. So uh, Jeff actually, you know, I've known Jeff a long time now, and. Uh, Jeff approached me a couple years ago and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking at doing this online platform. I think there's a, a need in the industry. There's obviously a lot of information being put out on the internet, but, it, but, you know, it's hard for the average consumer to sift through and find what was good, what wasn't good, what applied to them, what didn't apply to them. You know, Jeff had this great idea to organize it uh, somewhat in a masterclass fashion, you know, and, and present it in a very simple, understandable, affordable way for the average consumer. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me a couple of years ago about this idea, this project that he had. And I said, look, Jeff, you know, I, I think it's a great idea, but at the time I was doing, you know, 12 hours a day, six days a week, uh, lessons and playing lessons and, um, practices. And, you know, I, and I didn't feel like I had time to do this. And I, and, and to be honest, I didn't feel like this was a venue I, or a road I wanted to pursue mm-hmm. path. I wanted to pursue, uh, simply because I believed at the time that coaching really was the the face to face, the one on ones, the you know small groups. I just 
I didn't think that was for me. So I, you know, I kind of blew him off a little bit and, um, you know, he, he grabbed a couple of really good instructors early and, and got him involved and, and grew this thing well over the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I ran into him, um, at the players this year and we had dinner. Um, and of course this, I think this was a Tuesday night and we had dinner and, and Jeff said to me, he said, Hey, you know, would you have any interest in this? And I said, you know, I, I, I don't know. I said, I think, you know, for now I'm, I'm, I'm still doing this teaching thing and I'm still doing the one-on-ones and literally two days later, the players ended on a Thursday and the whole world just came to a stop. Mm-hmm. And Jeff sent me a text and said, how, how about now? <laughs> I said, you know, it appears my calendar has just opened up a little bit. You know, maybe maybe I can do this. So I pulled pulled the camera out and um, started shooting some video content for him. And um, you know, it's it's been great. I mean, I I've I've loved every minute of it. I you know I, I like getting in front of a camera and I like talking about subjects that that I want to talk about. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think as I do it more, I get a little bit better at it. I you know, obviously those guys are professionals at it. Jeff and Shaheen and uh, Jeff Pierce, um, you know, Preston, all those guys are fantastic at it, but the more, more content I shoot, the more comfortable I get in front of the camera, the more fun I think it is. And, um, you know, it's grown the online side of, of instruction for me quite a bit. Um, so it's been great. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Well, I think that's really interesting too, is that if you're, if you're good at the online content, you're able to, to discern what is, in my opinion, a verbiage I might use from time to time is information can be vitaministic. I don't even know if that's a word, but I made it up. Sounds um, good. But, uh, yeah, it sounds good. And by that, I mean, if this information is consumed by large numbers of people, it's probably going to help a lot of people and it's not going to hurt anybody. That's the way a vitamin works when you take it. Your body uses it if it needs that vitamin, but if it doesn't, it dispenses that that vitamin out the other side. And it really is the way golf instruction through that medium needs to be. I, I think that's why it's difficult to do it well. Giving a vitaministic message that's going to help mass numbers of golfers. And that one-on-one approach a lot of times is more prescription drugs. You know, mm. to me, that's where I've lived most of my life as a golf coach is in that world of prescription, uh, you know, dispensing of information that's only applicable to that golfer in front of me, from my own opinion, at least, and experience at that time. And um, that's why I've steered away from it. But I think it's really interesting that you guys have approached it and are doing a really good job with it. So I highly recommend my listeners take advantage of your of your content and your information because it'll only help them. It's really, really good yeah. information. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and it's difficult because the because the the World Wide Web as it is today is a massive amount of information, and some of it maybe not necessarily applicable to that golfer that gets on there and goes down the rabbit hole in search of the next secret. You know, so I definitely yeah, recommend. I think, absolutely, and, and you know, with this pandemic, right? We've all been you know kind of thrust in a situation where we have a lot of time, and there's certainly been a, a kind of an influx of information you know through all the, the social media and, and youtube and internet and instagram the whole deal so there's definitely a flood of information coming from a lot of different directions and i think what i like so much about course kings uh is the way it's organized and presented so it's very very digestible for, for the mm-hmm. consumer yeah the, the common you know 
thing a golfer's trying to do if they're a high handicapper and they've just started, they probably slice the golf ball. So they'll go on the internet and go into Google and search for fix my slice. Well, the golfer doesn't realize there's a lot of different ways to slice a golf ball and a lot of different types of slices. I mean, you know, there's a slice where the face is left of the target. There's a right. slice where the face is to the right of the target. And you know, the, a lot of different ways to slice a ball and not just one way to fix it. So um, that, that's the danger there. So, so in getting that information correct to that golfer, it's always going to be a challenge. But certainly uh, the way you guys are doing it, I think, is the best way to do it through that medium. So sure. good job, man. Good job. So tell me a little bit about your competitive career. Are you playing at all, or do you get out and play in some of the local events in your section, or do you just spend most of your time teaching and don't play? Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, I liked uh, – we all got into it, I think, because we loved to play. Right? There's no doubt we all wanted to play. This was an avenue for us to play more, you know, beyond, you know, the, the scholastic, the, the college and high school level. And, you know, as I've gotten older and, you know, um, relatively speaking, I've gotten older – <laughs> and you know we've got we've got an 11 month old now and um you know my wife and i'm an 11 month old you know priorities change a little bit and i still love to play and um you know i i get a chance i've actually played quite a bit quite played quite a bit last year not competitively but just you know in, uh, playing lessons with students uh, and then 2020 came around and you know i was getting really busy and um you know we didn't have some great weather in january and february here in florida didn't play all that much and then was traveling quite a bit. Um, uh, so I played one and then of course the world ended, you know, so I've played one time in, in 2020, but uh, I still like to hit balls and I like to practice and uh, I try to try to squeeze in a, a session when I can. Um, but I just, I haven't had a chance to play all that much. And then when you're not playing all that much, playing competitively doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense. Um, so, you know, but, but for me, honestly, you know, my, my priorities have changed, not only you know, having a family, but, but my enjoyment now in the game is more derived from helping others than it is playing. And, and some may agree or, or may disagree with that sentiment, but I, I much rather be on the lesson tee, you know, with somebody uh, trying to help them get better because I just find that more enjoyable now than, than actually playing the game a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've had one experience in the last – year of my life where playing was extremely fun. Uh, I got to go to Ireland last August with uh, one really, really close friend that I've had for a very long time and introduced me to two other guys that he was friends with along on that trip, and they've become friends since then for life. But uh, that was a really special experience for me in, as far as playing. But other than that, you know, playing is not that fun for me. I mean, it's okay. I enjoy it. But I'm like you. I'd much rather be teaching and helping somebody else. So I think it's yep. just a matter of who you are and, and where your priorities are. But, uh, yeah, I hear it both ways, and I, I'm kind of like you in that regard. So playing is, playing is fun, but you got an 11-month-old, so you got a real good excuse to not go play golf, my friend. You, and she's, uh, she's probably changing your world quite a bit. Talk to us about that uh, adjustment for you as a dad, you know, being a new dad like that. What are your big yeah, challenges uh, there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been great. You know, uh, like you said earlier, um, you know, my, my wife and I met at Campbell University. Our daughter is named Campbell uh, after Campbell University. Yeah, Campbell I Craig. thought that's a cool story. 
Yeah, and uh, you know she's awesome. She's got she'll be one she'll be one here in the next two weeks. Uh, she's got teeth coming in, and um, she got mobile overnight about two weeks ago. She went from uh, you know just sitting there and she could sit all day during the day and and just play with her toys, and all of a sudden you blink and she's you know in a different room. So that's that's <laughs> been a little bit more challenging. And my, you know my wife works from home. Uh, she has since we we've moved uh, to Jacksonville. It's about six. You know she's worked from home. Um, but you know, now that, now that she's mobile and, and she's much more active and she takes fewer naps and she's awake now more during the day, it's, you know, it's harder for, you know, for my wife to, to manage her job and, and this, uh, you know, this, this little kid. So, uh, you know, for me, it's been great. I mean, I, it, it's, uh, I still go to the club and, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've been at the club more than normal, but, um, you know, pre pandemic, you know, it would be about 30 to 40 hours of the golf club and I you know, get to set my own schedule. So I try to be here when she wakes up at about 5am and try to be home before she goes to bed at six. So it's been, uh, it's been great. And it certainly put things in perspective about, you know, what's important and how I want to spend my time. And, um, you know, everything we do now is, is not with my wife nor myself in mind. It's with, you know, how is this going to benefit Campbell and, and what can we do to better her life? Yeah, that's great. So you think she'll be a golfer? You got a plastic club in her hand yet? You know, we don't have a club for her. Titleist is really great. They sent us uh, they sent us her first, first foot joys. They sent her some golf balls with her name on it and her, her weight and birth and birth date. And, um, you know, she uh, if she wants to play golf, you know, that'd be great. I mean, I think she comes to the club and, you know, my wife and my daughter get to have lunch with me at the club every once in a while. And, uh, you know, we live a mile from the course and I'm, you know, the club is great. Um, as far as letting, letting us use the facilities and, you know, when my, my daughter's old enough, she can you know go hang out there and, uh, you know, my wife and, and Campbell will use the pool and hopefully get her in some of the, some of our junior programs. But, you know, I don't know if she, if she, I want her to sample all the sports. I want her to be a good athlete and I want her to figure out for herself what she loves to do and what she wants to you know play. But, you know, there'll definitely be a golf background for her if she you know she wants to go that route I mean, she's she's already kind of got you know a little, little head start on that side but yeah whatever she wants to do well it makes me smile to hear you talk like that because you're you're obviously a very uh in tune dad you're going to make great pop and she's got a great place to grow up there with you and your wife taking taking that approach um yeah so many golf professionals sometimes you know they push the game on their kids and and I probably did that a little bit, and then you kind of back off, and you go, wait a minute, let let them figure out if they love it or not, because they won't do it for very long if they don't love it. So, um, yeah, that's great, good good way. Yeah, to I be. think yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you know, you would know. I mean, right? We we've, we've all taught really highly competitive juniors, and we've seen parents be really really tough on their kids at times. You know, and and there's a burnout level, you know, for kids that are really highly skilled and. Yeah, they just they get to a point where they just don't want to do it anymore. They don't find enjoyment in it. And I kind of got that way with soccer a little bit when I was a kid. And it wasn't it was never thrust on me where I, you know, my parents forced me to do it. I just fell out of love with the game because it, you know became too much work at a young age. And you know I I think it's great for kids to sample sports. I don't want her to specialize uh, in anything in particular. I want her to try a lot of different things and a lot of different sports and just become a well-rounded you know athlete if she wants to play sports. And then if she wants to decide later on. You know, let her pick and let her go whatever she wants to do. Right. And it might not be sports that she wants to do at all. And, right. And, you know, you're ready for that as a parent. So certainly that's the that's the possibility. They may choose, uh, you know, to be um, 
something other than an athlete, and, uh, and that's okay because happy is what we want as parents, I think, for our kids uh, and their own successes will make them happy. So, right. um, yeah, great conversation today, TJ. I really appreciate you taking time out to join us, and, and under the circumstances, I hope things continue to improve for you there in Jacksonville and in the world around, and uh, we can kind of get back to what we do and in, in a face-to-face environment. Are you going to try and travel with some of your players there as they start back into the competitive arena here? I understand that's going to happen in your neck of the woods around June there with the uh, Corn Ferry Tour picking up at uh, uh, TPC Sawgrass, from I understand correctly. Are you going to be able to travel yeah. some? Yeah, so I haven't, um, I haven't heard anything – uh, from the tour about, you know, player support being allowed or not allowed to go to these events, you know, and, and being, you know, I, I, Corn Ferry is a little different than the PGA tour because there's such small uh, fan, you know, um, fan attendance at these events that I can't imagine the social distancing would be an issue, but if they allow me to go, I mean, it's, you're right. We've got sawgrass just down the road. We practice there on Mondays when Atlantic beach is closed. It's about 20 minutes from here. So uh, we got two events at, um, uh, TPC, and then we've got an event down at the King and the Bear down in St. Augustine, which is about 40 minutes or so from here. So, you know, hopefully the tour allows player support, and, uh, you know, hopefully I can get out there and, and hang out with some of the players. But uh, if not, you know, we're doing some good work here and, and hopefully just trying to get ready for those events and get off to a good start once the season gets going again. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, I'll tell you what, man, good uh, good luck to you and your players and your and – your, uh continued success and all the coaching you're doing there and, and the online content as well with the course Kings. And, uh, just want to thank you again for being with us this morning, man. It's been a great conversation. Tell our listeners how they can reach out to you and say hello. And how do you like to communicate with folks if they want to connect to you? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter, uh, at TJ Yaton golf, um, and Instagram also at TJ and golf, T J Y E A T O N golf. Uh, and then they can always, you know, shoot me an email at, uh, tj 8 Very good. Listen, do that, listeners. Reach out uh, to TJ and, and connect. If you're ever in the Jacksonville, Florida area, be a great stop, and uh, you can hang out with somebody who's a, probably one of the brightest minds in the game right now and, uh, and get some information to help you. Um, this has been our show, The Forecast. I'm thankful again to TJ Yaton for joining us. Um, listeners, appreciate you tuning in. Uh, it means a lot to me that you give or listen to our show, and um, we can ever help you. You know how to reach us. I'm Alan Burton, and this has been The Forecast. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.